right, all right, here we go. It's episode 47 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the NBA betting expert, got Mackenzie Rivers in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Mac and Rivers. You guys can always get us at pregame.com. All right, Mackenzie, here we go. NBA game five right now. Currently, series tied for the NBA finals, Golden State 2, Boston 2. Series is now going to shift back to Golden State. Current line on this game right now on the pregame.com game center, Warriors minus three and a half, and we have a total of 212. Let me give you the current odds to go ahead and win the title. Warriors minus 150 and Boston plus 125, give or take. Depending on what book you're at, you could probably pick up, you know, a nickel or a dime in either direction. But those are the odds going in here right now for game five. Mackenzie game four over and done with. Golden State gets a big win there on the road. How you feeling right now about this series overall now that we shift back to Golden State? Fascinating. This series is both asking and answering the question, what would happen if the NBA decided to treat Stephen Curry like Chris Paul or Trey Young or any other point guard? And if they said, we're going to guard you with our guard, Marcus Smart against you, for the most part, are our bigs dropping back after showing like any other point guard? What would happen? For this dynasty, that hasn't been the case. You look at the off-ball numbers, how, you know, seconds per touch. Steph Curry is usually in the four-second range. Chris Paul, Luka Doncic, they lead the league. They're usually in the six seconds per touch range. Steph Curry's never liked that because he's usually not playing that traditional point guard in the same way. Usually he's giving and going. In this series, he's averaging more dribbles, more time per touch, and he's shooting more. Third most attempts he's ever taken. Third best true shooting percentage arguably the highest volume he's ever done, the most success he's ever done. And they're favorites in the series, minus 135. So the big takeaway, the the knee-jerk takeaway, I would argue, is what are the Celtics doing? Why aren't they guarding him like everybody else is guarding him? Why don't they completely change what they're doing, trap him, get the ball out of his hands? He just went up for 43, one of the best finals performances I've seen in my life. Isn't the answer obvious? Do something different. I would argue no. I would argue You look at the global picture, the half-court offensive rating for the Warriors would be a bottom 10 number in the league. The points per game, they haven't scored this few points per game, only 105 points per game the Warriors haven't since the 2016 finals when Curry was, you know, allegedly hurt and Draymond got suspended a game and Curry threw his behind-the-back pass out of bounds and they scored 89 points in a Game 7 loss. That was the last time the offense has been this bad. So Ime Adoka. When he says, well, if we would have played our offense right, the right way, we should be up 3-1 or better in this series, he said. You know, bold statement. So I think the Celtics defense doesn't change anything that they're doing. They're they're limiting the Warriors team to a decent number. Steph Curry's obviously surpassing their expectations, and that's why they're not favored in the series anymore, and that's why it's tied 2-2. But if you look at everybody else, it hasn't been good. The Warriors... In the Steph Curry era, 27 series, if you look at all Steph Curry's teammates combined, they're scoring their lowest points per game total, only 71 points per game other than Steph Curry in this series, and they're shooting their worst, 43%. At the same time, least productive and least efficient. And if you break it down even more granularly than that, Klay Thompson's having his second worst shooting series ever. Draymond Green's having his worst shooting series ever. Andrew Wiggins hasn't played that many playoff series, but he's having his worst shooting percentage ever in any playoff series. And the same thing is true with the the 22-year-old Jordan Poole, who's only obviously in his fourth playoff series of his career. So everybody else is literally having 
as bad of a series as they could imagine, but it's tied 2-2 because of the exploits of Steph Curry. And I think the Celtics keep betting on the law of large numbers that Curry won't make, you know, 50% of his threes like he did in game four. Well, I think when you think about Boston and their overall defense, they're a type of team that they're not going to say, hey, Marcus Smart, you're not getting the job done. Let's help you out. That that could hurt him kind of mentally. And I think Boston probably trusts themselves to say, you know, we can take these guys one-on-one. We've beaten them already two games, you know, in this series. So let's not do anything crazy. And here's one thing that I've noticed in these finals, McKenzie, is that it doesn't matter who's out there on the court. If you leave a guy wide open, it doesn't matter if it's Otto Porter. It don't matter if it's Al Horford, Derek White, Clay. It does not matter. If you leave them open, these guys are knocking down shots. So maybe double team and Curry might actually cause more hurt here than help. That's just kind of the way that I feel about it. But when it comes to guarding Curry, look at NFL wide receivers, maybe a Devontae Adams or a Tyree Kill or you know, maybe a DeAndre Hopkins. You know, we say this often with elite wide receivers that you just can't guard them. They're going to get their catches. They're going to get their yards. They're going to get to their spot. doesn't matter if it's deep, across the middle, short. They're going to get the ball. doesn't matter who you put on. You can put the best corners on them. Those guys are going to catch the ball. And I feel like Curry, it doesn't matter where he's at on the court. He's going to be able to shoot, and he's going to be able to make it. He's shooting 35-footers. He's shooting 33-footers, falling into the crowd, getting fouled. The ball's going in. So I'm not sure Boston does anything different here at all defensively. I agree with you with that. I do want to ask you about Curry. Last game, McKenzie, 43 points. And we heard uh, it was one of the best games of his career, uh, one of the better games that we've seen in the finals. I mean, we have a lot of history behind us, McKenzie, that we could look at. But I'll, I'll say this. This was one of the best games that I saw from an individual player. But I actually don't think that we'll probably appreciate it, maybe until this series is finally over. And if Golden State wins then I think we'll appreciate it even more, this particular game where he had 43 points in game four. Now, where would you rank that game for Curry? Is that anywhere near like maybe like your top 10 or top 20 games? Oh, for sure. It's not only a top 10. I mean, it's got to be in the top 10 of, of games that I've seen this century, bar none. For me, I mean, statistically, the importance of a finals game is at least twice as important as any other game. You're just that much closer to the ultimate goal. So the leverage goes up. So it's already, if you're a really good game, you become a great game when you're at this moment. And if you just, I think I think you're right about when you realize it, because it's like maybe late June after the draft, early July, I'm like oh, late, early in the morning for no reason, and I'm watching SportsCenter. I'm like, Giannis had 50 points in a close clinching game with 14 in the fourth quarter and missed only two of 19 free throws. Like, that is insane. That is like literally the best I could imagine him doing and he did it in the most important moment that's not going to be lived down you know that is uh you know 50 years real sports century type stuff and I think you do realize that if you win the series Iverson had that great game that we talked about 48 points in OT beat Kobe and Shaq no one else could that entire year so that's remembered maybe not as remembered as some of these wins the Dwayne Wade scoring 40 in four straight games in 2006 so for me it's right up there I did this query most points in a finals win, Giannis did have the number one spot in game six of this century, 50 points. Then Iverson, they won that game. They did not win the series. And then Steph Curry, 43, tied with Kevin Durant when he did it in, against the Cavs in the finals. This is stuff I think it's kind of been underplayed, actually, but you're right. Maybe it's, this is just not the moment for it. ESPN had this article, best game fours in NBA finals history. And they asked Kendrick Perkins, 
a longtime Curry hater, longtime Curry competitor. And they asked Richard Jefferson, uh, is there any chance that somebody on this team, somebody in this in this matchup, Jason Tatum or Steph Curry or Klay Thompson could join this illustrious list of uh, game four performances? And Kendrick Perkins said, no, nah, I don't see it. You know, maybe Tatum, but he's not, not playing that well. Jefferson said it was more uh, short, short in his comments. He was like, no, no one has a chance. I mean, look at the names on the list. Kareem. Charles Barkley. I don't think we have anyone like that. Oh, what shade? What shade? These clutch ESPN LeBronophiles coming on, talking about Steph Curry like he's not in the conversation with Charles Barkley, a three-time champion, not in conversation with the guy that talks on TNT. Well, Richard Jefferson played in a game four against Steph Curry uh, that had a higher point total than anybody on ESPN's list, save Michael Jordan in 2016. Curry had 37 points, but didn't even think Jefferson didn't even think he had a chance to join this list. Uh, well, let's go through it. The five greatest game fours ever, according to ESPN, prior to this game, Magic Johnson, 29 points in the junior junior hook shot. It's always helps. We talked about it, uh, I think, pre-production. Hitting that game winner, Jordan 98. That is another level that a game can get to. So, all right, I accept that. Only 29 points, but the junior junior hook shot to clinch game four of the 87 finals. Then I think the greatest game ever played, Michael Jordan, 55 points, game four, at uh, in the United Center to take a 3-1 lead versus the Phoenix Suns and Charles Barkley, 55 points, did everything. Kawhi Leonard, 36 points in 2019 finals. All right, Curry's right there, 43 points, 10 rebounds. Charles Barkley had that triple-double. They put that on the list. And then Kareem had 34 points in the 74 finals. So according to ESPN's list, if you just look at it statistically, Curry had in the past in 2016 put up these kind of numbers and in game four put up far surpassing numbers than any on their greatest of all time list. But before the game, just for coincidental, they said they didn't have a chance. That is why Steph Curry once had a website. I think he still does called The Underdog. And that's why I still think to this day, the man is underrated and uh, often why uh, he provides value betting on his teams. He does things that the the experts and the guys paid to talk on TV say that he can't do. Well, he's clearly shown that he can do pretty much anything that he wants. The only thing I haven't seen him do, McKenzie, is dunk a basketball. Have you ever seen Curry <laughs> be able to dunk or no? I, I can't remember the last time I saw him dunk a basketball. Iverson used to have these insane tip dunks. You look back on YouTube with his rookie year and his second year. They were about the same height. No. I've seen Curry dunk in uh, in warmups. I can't remember him ever uh, ever throwing one down. I might be forgetting him. I might be forgetting him though. You know, I might I might be selling him short. Wouldn't be wouldn't be unlike most people to be selling him short. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes out and he has another forty point game here. And I think if he does, he wins the MVP if they win this series. I don't think there's a way, any way that anybody could take it from him. What were the MVP odds? He was somewhere around like plus one ten or minus one ten somewhere in that area, right? Yes, I gave it out on this podcast. Best bet. Plus 110. I did mention that there was some movement. Some sharp books had moved him to minus 110, like Circa Sports. But he was he was out there at plus 110 before the series. And now you look at it, uh, in many places for DraftKings, for example, Warriors minus 130, Curry slightly more expensive. They're giving him that Jerry West 1 in 50 chance. Curry minus 135, slightly more expensive to win finals MVP than the Warriors are to win the chip. All right. So I want to go ahead and I want to I talk about a bet here that I like. I want to talk a little bit about the Golden State Warriors with the series. But, McKenzie, we buried the lead. We were supposed to go ahead and pound our chests with our best bets. Right. Ah. 
Do you uh, want to recap the best bets for everybody? You know, we, we hit, what, two uh, two in a row. I think last time we had Draymond, uh, points, rebounds, and assists under. We both cashed that one. But, you know, what did we do in the last game? Because we would be uh, we'd be selling ourselves short if we didn't go ahead and, and, you know, do a little promo here for ourselves. Absolutely. We stayed undefeated. Neither of them were in doubt. Jalen Brown, under 34 and a half. There was some money on the under, moved to 33 and a half. So if you listened early, you got the better number and it didn't matter. It cashed. And then Curry under assists, uh, put up one of the games of his life. But like I predicted, they were they were saying, shoot it, beat us, even with your bum foot. We don't think you can do it. And he did it uh, one-on-one. Again, uh, looking at some of his tracking stats, very unlike Curry, very uh, traditional point guard-like, more dribbles, more time on the ball. And uh, he had nine potential assists, so he did give it up. Uh, he wasn't always Allen Iverson except making it every time. He had nine potential assists, which is a little bit lower than his playoff average. And what's really striking about the numbers is Curry's usually one of the best at, or his teammates are at converting his assist 60% on the season. Only Kevin Durant was better of a high volume assist guy. And in this playoffs, it's 30%. So they're not getting decent shots when he kicks it out because generally he's not kicking it into the paint. He's kicking it out for, for jump shots. And that's why uh, we've seen this assist prop go down. It was five and a half. Lay big to the under. Now it's four and a half, and uh, I think that's that's about right with the minutes he's going to get down the stretch. I don't think there's value on the under anymore, but we did cash it, so uh, we got the right price. And that's kind of a theme that we're seeing. I talked about Draymond Green under eight and a half points at the beginning of the series. We talked about his points, rebounds, and assists. Uh, Curry's assists. You look from game one to game five. Probably all the sharpest plays have moved like 50, 60, 70 cents or one, two, you know, multiple points. So it gets tougher. This is like this is like if we were trying to bet the Super Bowl at halftime, uh, but the books got like 12 hours to reset the numbers. All those edges, all those like, well, they're not seeing this kind of, uh, they start seeing it and it gets tougher. Uh, I personally am making less plays because of that down the stretch of these finals. Well, the books are doing their job when they make it harder for us to bet. But Mackenzie and I do have best bets for you. So We'll make sure we go ahead and we get to those. And, and we have a couple other bets that we're going to give out. But we just, our card has certainly shrunk up here, McKenzie, over the last couple of days uh, from game four to game five. I do want to stick with Curry here for one quick second. I got to be honest with you. When you said that you liked his assist under, I'm like, dude, this guy touches the ball a little bit too much for me to, to think that that was going to hit. And although you had the numbers to support it, now they dropped it down to four and a half. Do you, do you feel like like kind of like the way that I felt going into the last game? Like he's just touching the ball so many times, even with his nine potential assists. Are we going to recommend like let's not play it under, but let's not play it over because they've adjusted the number and he's just touching the ball just too much right now? Right. Eventually the number becomes correct. Yes, he's gone over five assists one time in the last 12, last four years against the Celtics. But you know what? He's gone over four and a half assists a bunch. So this is kind of the right number. Uh, with the juice to the over, I forced play, I would definitely bet the under. I'd get the plus 130 or whatever, under, under four and a half. Only one time in this series out of four games, he's gone over four and a half. But uh, it, it's not that appealing to me because, like you said, he's going to have the ball all the time. He's had nine-plus potential assists in every game. And uh, you're playing with fire because Curry's teammates, to a man, are having their worst shooting series. A lot of that is a Celtics defense. Some of that is chance, though. Some of that is just they're having bad shooting series. That can turn around. I think the biggest problem for Curry here is that they're not asking him to go out there and assist the basketball. They're asking him to go out there and shoot. And I felt like that's kind of been 
what I've been seeing in this entire series here, Mackenzie, is like they go down. And it's like we need a bucket, and it's like give it, give it to Curry, and it's just constant reliability on him. I'm not going to say it's eventually going to break the Warriors' backs. It may have already broke their back, believe it or not. Maybe we just haven't realized it yet. But I feel like that that's kind of the narrative going into Game 5 is who is going to help Steph. And I think there will be a player or two for Golden State that will step up and have a better game. But clearly you just can't give the ball to that guy and expect him to go and make these shots constantly over and over and over again. I mean, if he does, it wouldn't surprise me. But I think they're just asking a little bit too much. You're going to have to get some help from him. I do want to talk about the series, though, McKenzie. Currently right now on DraftKings, it's like minus 130. You, you found some minus 135s. And I'll make the recommendation that we bet the Warriors now. And here's why. If they win, McKenzie, this game, game five at home, what's the Golden State odds to go ahead and win the title if they, in fact, win game five? Going by my trusty binomial calculation machine, by the current assumptions of each team's power ratings, we be about minus 340 for the Warriors if they're game five winners. Okay, so let's say they win game five and let's say that they lose in Boston and then the series shifts back to Golden State for a game seven. What would you make the series price then? Because I can make an argument that the money line, which is currently Golden State minus three and a half, minus 160, I see minus 165. I actually see a minus 170 at Westgate that the minus 130 is the best number that we're going to get. Because if this shifts back to Golden State for a game seven, I don't believe you're going to be able to bet Golden State to win the title any cheaper than probably minus 160 if you're lucky. That's kind of what I'm thinking. So I'm thinking I'm getting the best price right now to go ahead and take Golden State. Do you agree with that? Yes. If 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 this splits, which is a reasonable assumption, Warriors aren't going to lose the next two. They're going to win one of the next two. We've seen historically there was a like a 20-year period in NBA history where home teams never lost. Uh, since 2003, great record against the Spurs great record straight up home teams in game seven. Uh, So that's the question. How much, I mean, this has kind of been the whole question of the series. The Celtics on a given game might be power rated as good or better, but do we expect a point, a point and a half, 20 cents of money line movement, just because this is uh, one dynastic team versus a team that's never experienced anything like a game seven uh, NBA finals game. The reason why I think that there's a potential for a split here is because Golden State's been very good at home in game five and you can go back through all the finals games. They've had a lot of game fives here. They've had a lot of success, but here's my only worry. Boston off of a loss has actually been very good this year. So I'm not sure if that kind of throws a little bit of wrinkle into that. Boston's already won here, but that's kind of where I'm, where I'm sitting at with this right now is that if you want to bet this, I would say bet it now. And if you have a reservation thinking maybe Boston can do something off of a loss and it turns into McKenzie's situation, then maybe you just leave it alone. But Boston off of a loss, does that concern you at all, McKenzie, the fact that they've been so good? Yes. Well, I'm not – I don't have a dog in this fight. I, I, I'm going to be heartbroken for either team that that loses. So it doesn't concern me as a fan because I'd, I'd be kind of happy if the Celtics win, and I'd definitely be happy if the Warriors win too. It concerns me as a better of the Warriors for sure, for sure, because the things that the Celtics do off of a loss are within their control. Draymond Green said before this series, sorry, quick aside, that 100% of the result of the series will be will have to do with what the Warriors do, meaning the Celtics don't have agency in the situation. If the Warriors play their game, they're going to win, is what Draymond Green said. I actually don't agree with that at all, and I think it's not a coincidence that Draymond Green said that and then looked like he looked like a player that took zero responsibility for uh, 
what actually was going to happen on the court and, you know, got benched in the fourth quarter of game four. I think that actually applies to the Celtics, where if the Celtics aren't turning the ball over, if they're shooting a decent percentage, then they, the Warriors offense, you know, the, again, this is the worst the Warriors offense has played since the 2016 finals by a lot in the Curry era. And we know that series ended badly. Uh, so they didn't play great offensively. You know, in the modern era, with the way that the points have been going, the way offenses have been played, we haven't seen any team contain Steph Curry's Warriors like this. So that's good. If you're a Celtics fan, you're not going to change that up. The offense is the whole problem. And the Celtics awful loss have controlled the one bugaboo that they've had in these playoff runs. They've controlled their turnovers. So just to run a couple numbers, since this whole renaissance of the Celtics, awful loss, 13-2 and ATS. All right, let's throw out the end of the regular season. You know how much I'm against regular season even being considered as what NBA basketball is. Everything's decided in the playoffs. In the playoffs, the Celtics, seven straight up, seven and zero straight up, seven and zero ATS, winning by comfortable margins, awful loss in the playoffs, including in this series. We saw them sixteen point winners in Game Three. The one stat that really changes for the for the Celtics is their turnovers. In off a win, which is most of the time because you know they're advancing through the playoffs, fifteen point six turnovers per game. That would be number two. Only the Houston Rockets would be worse if that was for the entire season than the Celtics off a win in the playoffs. We've seen Marcus Smart struggle. We've seen Jason Tatum, six turnovers in the last game. And we've seen Jalen Brown. Even though he's taking less responsibility, less touches he's had in this series, he's had a few really bad, really crucial turnovers when he does pick up the ball late in the games. Off a loss, exactly the opposite. 11.6 turnovers per game. That would be number one with the bullet in the NBA. So with these two days off, with Robert Williams, with the two days off, with the game planning, they know exactly what they got, what their arsenal is looking like. I feel like they're going to have a game plan that uh, is more controlled. And if I'm a Warriors fan, I am not running to the window to make this bet. I think the Celtics don't mind playing in San Francisco. They've been great on the road. They've been great in the series on the road at times. And it's in their hands. If they can, if they control the ball, if they're, have a decent amount of turnovers. And if Jalen Brown can do better than 36% shooting for the field, I don't think the Warriors can match their firepower. So gun to my head, I think Celtics plus 110 is actually a decent bet, despite the heroics of one Steph Curry. All right. So with all that said, McKenzie, here's what I do want to throw right back at you. After game four, Derek White and Marcus Smart had an interview. And one of the key things that they brought up is that they were relying on how well they played after a loss. Now that's all fine and dandy and that's good for the regular season and and good for the playoffs, but this is now the finals. I wonder if they view that as a crutch. And if you have one guy saying it, two guys saying it, and before you know it, it becomes like this wildfire kind of rumor where it kind of just boils over. Maybe everybody's thinking it. We're just going to go out and win because that's what we've done. That worries me that they might mentally be thinking that, well, we just performed so much better off of a off of a loss. So I don't know if that concerns you at all, but that was something that I heard that kind of just, you know, raised an eyebrow. Concern. Everything's concerning to everybody. You, this is fun and games. We shouldn't be concerned. There's some serious shit going on in the world. You know what I mean? But uh, if I'm, again, I'll flip it around. If I'm a Celtics better, yeah, that 100% concerns me because these trends end and they end for a reason. And if the psychology of desperation and grit and uh, – you know, attention to detail is what contributed to creating a trend, 
then relying on that trend psychologically, uh, using it as a crutch, like you say, saying, well, you know, at least we know we're going to be the more motivated team. That sounds exactly like you say right before you get punched in the face because Warriors are going to be more motivated in this game or at least as motivated in this game as they have at any point in the series. Clay Thompson's jumping in the ocean shirtless, uh, you know, trying for spiritual rejuvenation. You see, you see that come through on Twitter. They, this is obviously, uh, you know, life deathbed type moments for everyone in this series. That's what's great about the finals. This is not something you can say, oh, we're going to be the more motivated team. So, yes, if that trend dies, I think you can point to that quote and you can say they kind of let go of the rope a little bit. So I'm not I'm not running to the bank to bet the Celtics off this trend either. I do think you get max motivation out of both sides. So it's, it's a good caveat. You know, these trends die for a reason, and I'm not sure the Celtics actually have the edge that they've had in the playoffs with the desperation. Here's one of my worries. Let's go back to the Dallas series. Western Conference Finals, let's go back all the way to game one. I don't know if you agree with me, McKenzie, but that was the last time I saw the the Golden State Warriors, buzzsaw warriors who puts fear in people's lives. That was the last time I, I saw that team play. I didn't see them for the remainder of that series, and I haven't seen them at all in the finals. And I think now, at game five, at home, that that team could potentially break out. I think Kerr is happy now. He knows what he has in Porter. He knows where he can use them, Poole, Peyton. I feel like Golden State is like this is the game for them to go out there and play their best basketball. And I feel like that trend with Boston off of a loss could die here. This is a, a, a situation where, you know, Golden State has found themselves at home in a game five where, you know, they had to win or, or really, you know, take control of the series. I feel like they're comfortable right now. Like I feel like the comfortable team is probably Golden State. And I feel like Boston, in a sense, McKenzie, believe it or not, like, the way that these two teams are playing, I look at Boston and I say, you know what? They're a little bit better. They like they are a little bit better. But if Golden State could play their game, they're a little bit better. So I wonder if the Warriors come into this game saying, you know what? We're the better team here. We haven't played like it yet. But I do want to ask you this. And it comes back to, you know, what you mentioned with Draymond and Draymond saying, Hey, if we go out there and we play, we'll just we'll we'll be able to beat these guys. Have you seen Golden State's best game yet? And if you can point the finger, let's just say Golden State loses this series. They lose the finals. Who's the one player that is going to get blamed for Golden State losing? That's a tough question because there's the immediate uh, first take, snap reaction, who's to blame. And and then there's the larger scope of history and – I'm going to say something that might surprise you. Steph Curry's going to get blamed if they don't win the championship. Not because it's his, not, not going to be because he performed the worst. He clearly has performed the best on his team. But in the larger scope of history, I don't really care about Andrew Tony in 1983 playing up to snuff or not. You know, Julius Irving's got to get it done. Moses Malone has got to get it done. Nobody else. All respect to Clay Thompson. Uh, you know, the Tony Parker of his era perennially underrated, really good on both sides of the ball. He's not in this conversation with with the guys like Steph Curry and maybe Jason Tatum one day. You know, he's so young. That's a huge leap, even for a guy that young, to to enter the, uh, you know, the pantheon of the conversation. So who's going to be blamed? In the short term, it'll be Draymond Green. He's played terribly. Uh, a couple of these games, multiple of these games, two, two different times, he's been the worst player on the court by the advanced metric game score. 
so he'll get blamed and he's already been blamed for uh, his underperformance, but I think that kind of all falls to the wayside. I think Steph Curry's either going to get it done or he's not. And that's, that's fun. That's what, that's what makes this moment in time fun. Um, you know, he's going to be a great player either way. He's going to be an all-time player either way, but will he be uh, Bill Russell one day in some people's eyes or will he be uh, Will Chamberlain? We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to tune in on Monday. To circle back to your first question, uh, no, they haven't played their A game. I mean, statistically, they've been as bad as they have been in the Curry era, uh, you know, since 2016. It's funny you mentioned the Mavericks series because if you just look at Warriors teammates outside of Steph Curry, the second best series they've ever done from a shooting perspective was that Mavericks series. So they were 54% from the field outside of Curry. They were getting tons of layups. Looney was a revelation. Draymond Green had some decent statistical performances. Clay Thompson broke out of his shell. And they shot 54% as a team outside of their best player in Steph Curry. And they go from that Mavericks defense, or lack thereof, to 43% as a team outside of Steph Curry, the worst they've done in the Curry era. So is it just a couple of games, or is there something? I mean, I'm kind of answering my own question. The Celtics defense is clearly a different beast than the Mavericks, and I'm not sure that they're – that there's anything that the that the Warriors can do to break out of that slump. But yeah, they haven't played close to their best basketball. Is it a matter of time or is it just a strategic thing that's not going to change? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Is it better? I feel like it's just a matter of time and that this is probably, I mean, this, this kind of, I don't want to say it has to be. I mean, game seven would have to be or game six, you know, provided they lose this one. But I feel like this is the game that they might be the most comfortable. Here's what I want to do, Mackenzie. Let me go ahead and give out my best bet. I'll give this out now. No, we were already talking about Draymond. You and I, you know, we faded him a couple games back, cashed in. But I, I'm going to disagree with you. I think if Curry goes out and he goes out and he has 30 points in this game and they lose, and then maybe they go to Boston and he has, you know, 27 or 30 there and they lose, I think the, the finger gets pointed at Draymond. I mean, Draymond would have – he has to have a game that completely takes him out of that conversation – and I don't think there's anything that he can really do with the results that he's been providing to really take him out of that conversation. I mean, two points, two points. I mean, he's the guy that's up there being asked, uh, you know, what could you do better? How do you feel how you played? And he's up there, you know, saying, I, I played like shit. And he, yeah, he took some ownership there. But this guy is better than that. You know, you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast about point totals and stuff that's been adjusted. Well, he went from, what, eight and a half points, and he's now been adjusted down to six and a half. I don't think Draymond's going out there and having some career game. I don't think that. But I do believe he goes over his points here. And let me give you a reason why. Because he's going to get blamed. That's, that's one of the big reasons. And I think another big reason is that Golden State realized that they can't win just playing half-court basketball. This team has to get out and run. And when Draymond gets the ball and it's just a slower Golden State offense, He's trying to go up against Williams, and it's that's just not working well, where you're trying to get him to, to shoot some crazy three um, that's like in a desperation kind of shot because you see Draymond out there at times, and it's like, oh, geez, somebody has to shoot the ball, the shot clock, and there goes Draymond. But I feel like they run more here. I feel like he takes more command of the offense, and he gets to the free throw line. I think Boston will be in foul trouble early in this game because I think Golden State's going to look to attack the rim and try to get Brown in foul trouble again. He ended up with like three fouls early in that game. He had to go ahead and take a seat, and that was one of the things, Mackenzie, that helped me cash my best bet in the last podcast. But I feel like Draymond understands this moment that he hasn't performed in the last two games, and this moment right now, he's at home. This is going to be the most comfortable that Draymond has been. And look, 
Go back to the last two games in Boston. We talked about this, McKenzie, after the Game 2 podcast going into Game 3. Were we worried about Draymond with the referees because he was barking? That was all over the news about, you know, Draymond's out there doing whatever he wants. He should have been thrown out, technical this, technical that. If there was one thing that Draymond did right in Boston, he didn't get thrown out. He didn't get teed up. He did that right. Now, he had crappy games, but I think now you get the full effect of Draymond. He's going to go, you know what? I'm not going to get thrown under the bus like this. I'm not going to let my team down. I'm not going to look bad. And the fact that this has been adjusted down two points, I like that. So I think Draymond will get his bucket or two, maybe his dunk, and I think he will get to the free throw. I think six and a half, too low for him in this spot, in this moment. I'm taking Draymond Green over six and a half points is my best bet. Not sure if you like it, dislike it. How are you feeling about that one? I'm probably neutral. I think it's been adjusted uh, at least enough, if not too much. And I'll agree with you this. I'm more confident that Green's gonna is going to put up shots and score in this desperation mode with his the eye of Sauron clearly on him as a potential scapegoat for a finals loss again. And we've seen it before. We saw game seven. I mean, as much as I rag on the guy for not you know putting in the work offensively, when the lights have been brightest, he hit six threes in a game seven, scored 29 points. In this series, after he said, I played like crap, he scored nine points and only three field goal attempts. Uh, so I don't mind it from that perspective. And I'll agree with you on this. Transition has to be the Warriors' priority. In the half court, 93 offensive rating would be bottom 10 in the league. In transition in this series, 124 offensive rating would be best in the league over the course of the season. That has to be their priority. That's why I think racing out for early threes, whether they uh, cover that and then Green comes down streaking for for easy layups, that is going to be a priority. And Green often benefits for more transition opportunities because they're running out to shooters and Green gets open in the middle. I will say this. If you look at the percentage of plays in the half court, game four was the highest for both teams. So whether that's going to continue, that's something you got to worry about. As these series go on, are they able to effectively muck it up and make it slower? Because if they are, the Warriors are going to have trouble scoring. Here's what I think was effective, and this is with Draymond. I think the Boston crowd was effective. I don't think that they're getting enough credit for you know what they did at home and what they did to Draymond. When that dude touched the ball, they were booing. They were heckling him. Uh, you know, he got a couple early fouls, and they were just on Draymond. And I think that that probably got in his head a little bit, McKenzie, to the point that every shot I take and I miss, this crowd just gets more and more revved up. And what do you want to do as the opposition? You don't want that crowd. You want to take the air out of them. And Draymond knows he's not going to hit 50%. So I think he was very timid in shooting the ball. But now he's looking for those cheers. He's looking to, to go ahead and have – his crowd behind him for once. And I think we see him get at least try to attack early so he can get out of that funk completely. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see Draymond, you know, maybe with four or five points in the first quarter, just because they, they got to get somebody going. They have to change, um, you know, the, the narrative. They have to change the momentum, at least with Draymond and this Warriors team. Like they got to get out there. They got to run. They got to do a bunch of things. But with that said, McKenzie, we do have a best bet of yours that we have to get to. I have another bet here, McKenzie, that I like. But before I go ahead and give that one out, let me go ahead and give out this. If you guys have been following us on pregame.com, I gave out a game of the year pick the other day for King Creole. He hit that. He's hit seven straight totals right now in the NBA, going all the way back to the Western Conference Finals. He has a big pick up. You guys can go ahead and pick that up at pregame.com. And if you guys are looking to gain a bunch of cash right now, pregame has their bulk dollar sale. You can get 500 bulk dollars for just 300 If you guys are looking at 
picking up maybe McKenzie's NFL package, you can get it fairly cheap right now and save yourself a couple hundred bucks. So go over to pregame.com, get King Creel, go ahead and get yourself some bulk dollars, and let's start thinking about the NFL this upcoming season. Uh, with all that said, McKenzie, let me go ahead and throw a bet at you. Let's do it. All right, so here it is. I'm going to play Clay Thompson over 17.5 points in the finals. Now, that's his average. He has to average over 17.5 points in the finals, and you guys could get that on FanDuel. Let me make my case, and, I'll, and I think it'll be a pretty easy case here, McKenzie. Clay Thompson in game one, 15 points. Clay Thompson in game two, 11 points. We've been talking about Clay throughout these playoffs, and we know he's been lined at 18 and a half, 19 and a half, 20 and a half. Well, his point total again is at 19 and a half. Well, 17 and a half doesn't make any sense to me because I feel like one, the, the price is off. Like if he's being lined at 19 and a half, I feel like I'm getting value there. I feel like maybe if he was lined at 17 and a half that I would be kind of splitting hairs. So I feel like I'm getting value in that regard. But here's the other half of my handicap here is that they need somebody else besides Steph Curry to go ahead and do something. And it's going to be Clay. He's going to shoot the ball 15 to 20 times a game. When he touches it, he shoots. That's just that's just the nature of the beast here with Clay and this Warriors team. So I think he's going to get his volume. And when you're betting overs, sometimes I think that if you at least get the volume, you're happy with the bet that you make. And I think that the line is, is a little bit off, McKenzie, but I feel like the volume, is it's always going to be there with somebody like Clay. So I think he finishes over 17 and a half points. I'm not sure if you approve of that or disapprove, but I think the 11-point game was kind of an outlier. And I feel like Clay, anywhere from 17 to you know 20-plus points is is probably uh, more correct. So I'm, I'm looking at Clay over 17 and a half uh, series average right now uh, as one of my picks. What do you think? I like it. I like this uh, significantly more than the Draymond Green pick, but I wish you luck in both of them. This one I like for multiple reasons. One is the trend line you talked about, the 11-point stinker in game one. Last two games... 22 points per game, 41% from the field, 39% from three. That's Clay Thompson. That's not, you know, peak Clay Thompson, but that's Clay Thompson. That's why they have continued to set this prop at 20 and a half. When he looks right, maybe jumping in the ocean, he'll look right. Uh, going forward, we'll see. But so the trend line's there. What I like better, what I like a lot, is that we've seen game six Clay. We've seen actually game five Clay. You look historically, highest points per game. In any game, in any playoff series, game five, by far, almost 23 points per game. Compare that to game four, only 17 points per game. Why? I think this is a good emblematic series. The Celtics have spent all weekend thinking about Steph Curry and not Klay Thompson. This is when he has to step up for his brother the most. By the way, you had made an excellent point in pre-production. You're like, game five scores more for Klay Thompson? Uh, Everyone always says game six Klay. Why could that be? You know what it is? I bet he had more home games in game five and indeed 75 percent of his game fives have been at home 24 points per game have uh in those home games game five so generally later in the series he stepped up big much more than he has earlier in the series so that historical trend is there too and here's the clincher here's why i think this might be a market that we come back to over and over again because you have to ask yourself what's more likely a 33 point game like to close out the grizzlies or like he did against the mavericks or a three-point game, because what's generally going to affect the average much more than whether he goes over or under any particular game, what's the outlier game? And I think it's much stronger. Like you said, he's going to have volume regardless. If, if he shoots, if he has to shoot 19 times for 15 points, we've seen it, he will do that. He's not going to score three points 
he's much more likely to go 10 for 19, get some free throws, get a big third quarter, and go for 33. And then you're sitting pretty. I didn't make this bet, but we talked about it. Steph Curry was over under 30.1. Then he goes for 43. And now you'd have to go well, well, well under his average to get that under 30. So uh, the outlier game is in your favor, I think, going over on this Clay Thompson bet. Well, I think Clay has to shoot McKenzie for one more, probably the most important reason is because if he's not out there shooting, then the Warriors' offense it it just becomes all Steph. Like it 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 they they lose their their entire identity if Clay's not out there running and gunning and bombing away. That that's how this Warriors team runs. So I I do not have any fear that the volume will not be there. It it kind of has to be for Clay. And I think my final point with that McKenzie is that. If this does go seven games, I'm going to get two home games for Clay and only one on the road. So I feel like it's a good bet. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make that. But with all that out of the way, without further ado, we have Mackenzie Rivers' best bet for game number five. Mackenzie, what do you got? So I'm going to go Warriors team total under 107 and a half. They've gone over their total in four games one time, and it required, like I've said, a once or twice in a century type performance from an all-time great player to go over by a point and a half, which is what it did in game four. In game one, far under. In game two, far under. In game three, far under. The Warriors offense has underperformed. Why do I say all that? Market knows that. Everyone's been talking about that. Because if you look at the trend line of what the Vegas market has been, Warriors four-point favorites right now on FanDuel, three and a half in a lot of spots. That's pretty much where they were in game one. And even though the total's lower, you can still get under 107.5, which is right around where it was game one and game two. That seems like a market inefficiency to me. We know the total's gone down. I think if you look at the series price, we know the Celtics have been net upgraded. They were minus, they were plus 135 to start the series. Now in less games, they're plus 110, despite still not having home court advantage. Those things added up should have been a bigger adjustment, I think, to this team total. We haven't seen it. And then it goes back to what is the storyline right now? What is the narrative? Celtics have to change things up. They have to blow it up. They have to trap Curry. I don't think the sober minds in Boston right now, looking at the historic numbers of what they're doing against this Warriors offense, is going to change anything. And I think they're going to stay the course. I think the Warriors may win this game. They may very well win this game because of how uh, suspect the Celtics offense has been. But then if you ask that question, okay, what are the Celtics going to do on offense to change things up? Well, we talked about transition. We talked about turnovers. Celtics have had elite numbers containing their turnovers off a loss, terrible numbers, league worst numbers off a win. We're off a loss here. Everything's going to be buttoned up. Everything's going to be, I think, close to the vest for the Celtics because they know there's one way the Warriors offense gets going in this series, and that's in transition. They limit that as much as possible. We've seen that in game four. They didn't end up pulling out the win, but they did have a five-point lead late playing this style. Maximizing the half-court possession for both teams is in the Celtics' interest. I think we see a slower-paced game, and I believe I don't believe the Celtics' off-a-loss trend is gospel. I do think it's a real thing, despite Marcus Smart probably getting a little uh, arrogant in his conception of it. I think the team as a whole is going to play their best defensive game of the series, and Steph Curry's having the best shooting game series of his life, shooting the most he ever has. As much as I respect the guy, as much as I think that it's a credit to him, I don't expect it necessarily to continue at this clip. So 
you look at all the data points that go into a team total, Curry's about 30% of it. Okay, he's playing at an elite level. Everybody else, Thompson, second worst shooting series of his career. Wiggins, worst playoff series shooting of his career. Green, by far the worst shooting series of his career. I don't expect them all to turn it around like that. Much more likely Curry comes back to the mean than all of the Warriors turn it around. So because of that, I think this team total should have been adjusted significantly. It has not been under 107.5 is my best bet. Warriors team total under. All right, solid stuff there from McKenzie. Uh, let me just say this, McKenzie. You know, we're talking about Celtics, you know, off of a loss and how they were very well aware of that. You know, Golden State's very well aware of that too. And they have to come in here and they have to play better defensively. And I think one of the things with Golden State, you know, their offense is better when their defense plays better. They're not down there struggling, looking for baskets, getting shot clock turnovers. So I do expect Golden State's defense to step up here and probably play one of their better games. That'll be McKenzie's best bet for this podcast. Going to go ahead and play the Warriors team total under 107.5. And, and my best bet will be Draymond Green points over 6.5. And, and for Kenzie, before I let you go, I do want to throw a curveball at you. And we did not talk about this pre-production. And I'm kind of just going to throw this at you and, and see what your answer is. I just want to hear this one on the fly. If you could pick one thing that you've liked from Boston in this series, what would that be? Robert Williams protecting the rim. I think, uh, and others have said this, what we saw in the middle of the year when they turned it around and Boston had this like historic defense, uh, we kind of missed the first couple rounds of the playoffs. Yes, Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year, got the award, but I think Robert Williams, Time Lord, felt like he slowed down time like the Matrix at time, jumping up on guys in the middle of the season. We haven't seen that in a while. We have in this series. Andrew Wiggins, uh, he put Luca on a poster, and then he made a T-shirt out of it, and then we saw his little girl wearing it after a finals win. That's pretty cool. But he hasn't had that poster. He hasn't had anything close to that. In fact, there's been some blocks by Time Lord, four blocks in Game 3 that I just thought were uh, were jaw-droppers, and that's been my favorite thing to watch from the Celtics this series. All right, I'm with you 100%, and I was going to say the same damn thing because we were looking at him, and we talked about him before the podcast, and we are like, you know what, man? Like, this guy might not be able to go, but he has been – one of the more important players right now for Boston. So let me ask you the same question for Golden State. Is there anything that you could pick out that you really like with Golden State right now? Because my feeling is I, I really don't like anything right now with what I'm seeing with this team. There, I, I can't pick out anything positive outside of Steph Curry playing out of his mind. But in my opinion, McKenzie, that's not a good thing. So right now I don't know what I like for Golden State right now. I'm, I'm with you with Williams with Boston, but right now with Golden State, I, I can't think of a single thing right now that I'm liking about this team right now. Again, you go man by man. If you're going to exclude Curry, uh, you know, having a historic series for him and for anybody, then there's not a lot to like. I'd say I'd say Kerr, you know, he's he's been getting some uh, uh, some uh, disparagement uh, across the media airwaves. I'd say, you know, only a couple times is the NBA playoff coach going to change a series. I think starting Porter uh, instead of Looney, giving a little bit more option. By the way, I think that helps your Thompson bet if they do that again to have another shooter out there to start the, uh, to start things could give Thompson a couple early looks and then to sit green. And uh, again, I want to go back to green does some things that frustrate me and I think are uh, overrated historically. Look at his offensive game. But when he came back in three and a half minutes, give him credit. He had his most impactful time by far. I think there were plus eight when he came back with three and a half minutes to go. When he when he was he was challenged, when the coach challenged him, I think that's a testament 
not only to uh, to Green coming back and playing great ball, getting some great rebounds, having a big assist late, late but to the uh, foundation that Curry has built that he trusts like, okay, well, he's not playing well. I'm not going to play him. There's really not that much. I got to overthink it. And uh, yeah, that, so that, that's, that's something with the Warriors that shows uh, the organization is built the right way that they can make that decision. They can take Looney out and not worry about his mentality. They can take green out in the biggest moment of the season and they don't worry about it. They just keep trucking. You know, I love that you said that because I didn't even think about that when it came to Draymond the fact that he was benched, that has to give him supreme motivation to go out there and to not let that happen again. But I agree with you with how he played. Like, I think if Draymond wasn't out there for that, you know, that final stanza, those last couple minutes, the way that he was playing defense and offense, that there's a chance Golden State doesn't win that game. Like, he he did make a difference there. And although, you know, he didn't look good for, you know, 48 minutes in the first game and, you know, 45 in the, in the second game, those last three minutes were really important, I think, for Draymond to know that, you know, I can go out there and, and play my best basketball. So we talked about the things that we like with these two teams. Maybe let's switch it to dislike and then we'll go ahead. We'll close it out. You know, is there anything with Boston that you that you dislike right now? Yeah, there's one thing that comes straight to mind. Uh, I put this out on Twitter at Mac and Rivers. Jason Tatum uh, has been obviously the number one ball handler, the number one guy. He's the questionable superstar. He's the guy for the Celtics and Jalen Brown is number two. You look at the season long statistics, they support that. He's had about 20% more touches per game. He scores a little bit more, he assists significantly more, and he gets more opportunities. All those things are in line. A lot of it has been made about his terrible shooting in these finals, and it's been bad. 35%, and he's second favorite to win finals MVP. I looked historically, nobody's ever shot that bad and won finals MVP. Kobe in 2009 was at 40%. That was the lowest. And Jordan in 96, I don't even think people were talking about him shooting poorly, but Gary Payton... Uh, you know, pumps his chest for a reason. He thinks he did a great job on him. He was only at 41%. Nobody else has shot that poorly, and Tatum, again, significantly below that. But if you look at the touches, that same dynamic of who's number one, who's number two, Jason Tatum is taking 43% more of the touches for the Celtics than Jalen Brown. And all the talk is about how inefficient Tatum is and how Jalen Brown has been maybe their best player on the Celtics. I completely disagree with that. Yes, Tatum Brown has been very effective, especially early in first quarters. But I don't think some the ball kind of just it happens to land in your arms. I don't think uh, Kevin Durant has talked about the magic of the ball. It finds the right guy. Jalen Brown is completely within his right, if he's more efficient, and he has been in this series, to take as many touches, or at least within the same realm that the regular season distribution was at. He shouldn't be taking so many fewer touches than Jason Tatum. So I'm not sure if that's a coaching thing or if that's a player thing or both, but that's something I don't like. I think that distribution has to be changed a lot. You're putting too much shoulders on Jason Tatum to create every single time down court. He got, he's got to be catching the ball when it swings from the other side of the court to get an easy three. He's got to have that too. At 24 years old, I think they're, they're making a mistake if they're saying you're going to be more of the guy than usual. Maybe as much as the guy as usual is the right distribution. So I'm not sure why that's been the case, but it's something that I think – uh, the Celtics should change. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you with that. I think the disappearing act for some of these guys with Boston is right. It's kind of baffling. I mean, the guys are world class athletes, and they go out there and they score two points in a quarter, and they play almost the whole damn quarter. I mean, you're the one of the best players in the league, and it's like you can't you can't do that, dude. Especially at home, you know, you can't can't just disappear. Now with Golden State, I'll tell you the one thing that I don't like, and I, maybe you agree with me with this, McKenzie. 
I don't like the fact that they haven't played a whole hell of a lot of the, like the, the you know the quote unquote death lineup or whatever it is that they call it. Uh, I thought we would see more pool, more Curry, more Thompson with Draymond, uh, maybe Looney out there running and gunning. It seems like they they've gotten away from that, and I think you know in Dallas series they they were able to go ahead and, and use that lineup a lot. But maybe it's just something that they can't do against Boston because they'll get chewed up and crushed. Um, but I, I, me personally, I would like to see it. But that's the one thing that that I haven't liked with Golden State is that they haven't even pushed the envelope to go out there and and force the issue. And I wonder if we'll see it in Game Five. I kind of hope that we will because that's just a fun lineup to watch. But that's the one thing that I really haven't liked about Golden State um, overall. I agree with you. And as someone that has a ticket on the under. 107 and a half. I hope we don't see pool because I think you're right. I think if they want to kickstart the offense and that has been their big problem in this series, it makes a lot of sense to play him more. And in game one, he was a minus 19. Couldn't play him. That was the narrative. He was two for seven minus 19. If you just ignore that, if you just say, I know we had a bet on him to be the high scorer, but maybe there was something to first finals game ever. These lights are a little bit brighter. He had a bad game and the team didn't play well with him on the court since then. Warriors are a plus three with him on the court, you know, plus seven in game two. And I think that second quarter run when they got back into the game had a lot to do with Poole hitting those long shots. I think that's a quiver in their arrow uh, or an arrow in their quiver that they actually should unleash. I agree with you on that one. And here's my thought with that is that in order for Golden State to go out there and and really play a good, good game, they have to go on one of those runs. And I think in order for them to feel really comfortable going up against Boston and beating that team, they have to get out to a lead. We've seen Boston jump out to these leads, but we haven't really seen Golden State go out and, and do that patented buzzsaw, we're going to go up 15, we're going to go up 20 on you. Haven't just seen that a whole lot, and I think that they have to get pool involved there. I'm with you 100%. If they can get that lineup on the floor and not get crushed and go out there and, and, and be effective and, and go on those runs, I think that Golden State could do that in this particular game. And look, they, they might end up being able to sit in the fourth quarter. Who knows? Maybe they won't even get anywhere near 107 points. So good stuff there, McKenzie. I felt like this is a really good podcast, covered a lot of stuff, uh, even for a podcast that we didn't think we were going to have a lot of material for, but some good stuff. So I'm happy that we had a chance to go ahead and sit down, chop this up, get ready for game five here, guys, on Monday night. You guys got our best bets. Make sure you guys go over to pregame.com. Sign up if you haven't. You guys will get a free $25 if you do so to go ahead and pick up any pick that you want over there. But you guys know where to find us on Twitter, SleepyJ underscore pregame, at Mac and Rivers. Make sure you guys like and subscribe to the podcast. Check us out over at pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games.